Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. You're listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Covering Mississippi State sports like nobody else. With Sports Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk of 24-7 Sports. Powered by Taylor Construction Equipment. Whether you're looking to rent, lease, buy, or for service, contact Taylor Construction Equipment today at taylorconstructionequipment.com. Now get ready for Thunder and Lightning. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk here with you on a Friday morning. Thanks for joining us here. Supertalk.fm or wherever it is that you get podcasts from. We appreciate all you guys out there, our great listeners, especially our servicemen and women out there taking care of us. I want to thank our sponsors over at Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. Start your day the right way. The trip to the drive-thru over at Strange Brew Coffee House here in Starkville or at Brupolo over in Tupelo. Be a little weird, uh, Robbie, if Brupolo was in Sanatorium. Yes, that would be a little weird. Do you know where that is? No, I, I do not. It's near some of your your family. I think your in laws stomping grounds. It's it's in uh what, what county? Brown Scott County. It is in what county is this? What county is McGee in? That is Smith County, I think. I thought I think McGee's in Simpson County, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. right. It's between so, Smith McGee County and is Raleigh. It's between McGee and Mendenhall. <clears throat> That's this is Chunky's territory. Ah, so. well. Wherever you are in our great state, you can enjoy Strange Brew Coffee every day. Just go to strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. Oh, oh, and by the way, Robbie, would you like to hear some completely unsurprising news? Well, yes, I would. Strange Brew Coffee House voted number one coffee house in Starkville. Well, that's weird. I mean, who would have guessed something like that could have been possible? Turns out people like local businesses and not yeah. Starbucks. Yeah, you're right about that. Well, there are some people that like Starbucks too, but well, they're I'm right. not going to shame those people. No, I am. I am going to shame those people. Go across the street to the better local option. You idiots. How oh. about that? Well, I was just going to I was going to be nice to everyone no, if they no, choose we're that. Do they little, can. They're, you know what? I'm in no mood today. I'm it's a flaw. It is for, a flaw. For Starbucks people. Okay. With your your burnt coffee that you can't order small, medium, and large of. Nobody likes you. Vente. Vente, which is Latin for 20, I believe. Anyway. College Corner and collegecornerstore.com is the place to find the maroon and white merchandise that you are looking for. They have the biggest and best selection of it in central Mississippi. Not just for your yourself, either. Not just, not just in terms of your wardrobe. They got great stuff for your house, for your car. And for your tailgate, you know, we aren't, we are not long from that first tailgate of the season. It's, it, it's literally, I, I can, I can smell the smoke in the air. You want to, you want to get out there and enjoy it, get some great stuff to, to spruce up your tailgate from College Corner. Two locations in the Jackson area. They're originally by Fleet Feet, Flowood by the Half Shell, or you can shop online at collegecornerstore.com. Lost, lost my brain there for a second. Restaurant Tyler. It's Starkville's best restaurant. I got to eat there this week, and that makes me very pr- privileged and happy. And you can be that way as well. If you're going to be in Starkville this weekend, make sure you may have a trip for Restaurant Tyler on the agenda. Best lunch in town, best dinner in town, and the best Sunday brunch. When it's the best of all three, that's the best restaurant in town. That's Restaurant Tyler. Priority One Bank, twelve sorry, 16 locations throughout uh, central Mississippi waiting to serve you. We were just talking about, you know, Buying local, shopping local, eating local. 
banking local is just as important. You want to have a relationship with your local bank. That way, if you have to make a decision on a loan, you're talking to people you know. You're not having to go up and, and deal with corporate people who have never met you. And that's what that's the kind of relationship you get at Priority One Bank. Everything done on the local level. If you're already a Priority One Bank customer, you know how great their app is. You can do a lot more on it than just move your money around. You can do everything you can do at a Priority One Bank branch. Check them out at PriorityOneBank.com to find a location near you. Let Priority One Bank make you their priority. So much baseball news. So you're trying to avoid the baseball, but it, it keeps I, every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. So let's are start you, with are you getting ready to talk about Brad Bohannon. You know, the the Corleone family had gambling interests. Uh, apparently, Brad Bohannon does as well. We'll get to that. We'll we'll definitely talk about that. But let's start with baseball. Let's start with Roy Oswald. Sides to just choose violence on a fr- on a Thursday after Wednesday afternoon. Uh, tweets out a picture of bully, no comment, no 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 context, and gets everybody uh, into a tizzy, thinking he's going to be the new Mississippi State pitching coach. Robbie, you, you seem to have found out that that is not going to be the case. Yeah, you know, I <clears throat> I never really thought there was any kind of uh, you know true movement towards that from mm-hmm. Mississippi State side, but I do know with a hundred percent certainty that Roy Oswald would very much want to be a part of Mississippi State's program in some form or fashion. And, I mean, you're talking about a guy that obviously does not need any money. He's not here, he's not here trying to just, you know, get a job. He just really loves Mississippi State. <clears throat> That's what it boils down to. And, you know, talking to people that know Roy well, I, I know Roy not as, as well as, as a lot of people do, but I know a lot of people that are close to him being from Choctaw County and being in Starkville, too. And he loves Mississippi State. He's um, an avid Bulldog fan. He wants Mississippi State to get back on track. So he has been interested in doing something to give back. And from his perspective, he wants to get in there and work with the pitchers, possibly. But I think there's some roadblocks to get to that from Mississippi State's end. Mm-hmm. And it's not as easy as Chris Lamonis just going out and saying, hey, just come in here and, and work with us. I think there's some some logistics that they've got to get through to do something like that. And I just – I don't see Mississippi State going in that direction, at least not right now with the uh, the season kind of coming to a close here. But, yes, I mean, I, I think that last night was definitely, you know, a little bit of a let's see what kind of reaction I can get from Roy. Mm-hmm. I think he was interested to see, you know, what what the fans would think, and I think it got a pretty big reaction, as you saw. Definitely, yeah. and I, I think he would be excellent in that position, as far as you know, helping Mississippi State's pitchers um, and just kind of guiding them, guiding them in some form or fashion. Uh, I know in the past he's come up there and thrown bullpens uh, with Mississippi State uh, with either Butch Thompson or um, whoever. So, you know, he's been around the program before, and I think he would be an absolute asset. But I just – I don't see any way that that happens right now. Do you see a path to him becoming the pitching coach after the season when when State is looking to hire a full-time pitching coach? Uh, you know, we'll have to see. I, I think there's some – again, I think there's some logistics to go through. I don't know what his situation is from a – education standpoint and i think to be employed by mississippi state you have to have a bachelor's degree yeah so that that's one thing and that again you know 
for for the crowd that's just like, why isn't Lamona's doing that? I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen for uh, Roy Oswalder or somebody like that to come in here and coach. So I don't really know where he is as far as his education is concerned. You know, obviously, I don't know when he would have had a whole lot of time to get an education. He went from junior college. He probably has an associate's degree, but he went from junior college to the minor leagues and then the MLB, and he's been retired since. I mean, he hasn't really had any reason to get a bachelor's degree at this point. So I don't really know where where all that stands, but I have learned, I think Steve uh, even reported it too on the board, that you have to be a – college graduate with a bachelor's degree to be employed by Mississippi state. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's a like NCAA rule, but I do know that Mississippi state, that that's how their contracts are stated. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Especially, you know, when you're talking about, I mean, we, we forget this sometimes, but like coaching, you know, you're, it's an educational position, right? You know, you, you when you're, I mean, think about, think about high school coaches, they all have a college degree, so you know it would make sense that it would be the same for uh, for college sports. Now, pro sports would be totally something different, you know. I mean, I'm sure there are probably co- pro coaches who don't have degrees, but that being said, because you know you have former players who just you know left college early and then they go to the pros and then get hired as a coach right after their professional career. So it's a, it was interesting. It's interesting news. It would definitely be an interesting fit. I think Mississippi State will go the route of hi, of hiring, regardless of Oswalt's uh, educational status. I think that they will go about the business of hiring a an actual coach because as good as Roy, Roy Oswalt would probably be as a pitching coach in in terms of dealing with the mechanics and the the philosophy of pitching, does Roy Oswalt want to spend his summers, you know, out recruiting thirteen and fourteen year old kids? Yeah. That, that's a question you have to ask. When, you, when you're a multimillionaire, and you don't have to do that kind of stuff. So, And it, it goes back to the – Brian, it goes back to the whole – like there's a fascination with a lot of fans mm-hmm. of getting a guy that – Talked about this on the live State. show last night, yeah. Yeah, like, the, like you know, Jay Powell. I love Jay Powell. I, I, I covet his thoughts. But he's never been a, a, a college pitching coach. Mm-hmm. Roy Oswalt's never been a college pitching coach, and I'm not diminishing anything that they've ever done. But why why just limit yourself to your guys? Why not tr- try to see if you can get the best available? Mm-hmm. I, I've just I've never understood that. You know, Jonathan, go get Jonathan Papelbon. Why? Why 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 are we going after Jonathan Papelbon? He's never coached an inning. I mean, it, it's it's awesome and that you know he is what he is, but sometimes I mean, it I just, works, right? Like when you have people Stomach for Chad Bumpus. Bumpus is a successful Power Five assistant coach who happens to be himself. an alum. So bringing him back makes a lot of sense. But then you know, if Mississippi State's running backs position would open up, people will, will say something like, "Why don't we just hire Anthony Dixon?" And and it, it's just like, no, that's that's not that's not how you know you you wouldn't do that in any other job. You wouldn't just say, "Well, this guy, well, <clears throat> you know, we we like him, so we're going to hire him." It's just like you said about Bumpus. He went out and he spent five or six years like learning on the job. Mm-hmm. And then they went and got him. It makes perfect sense now to go get him. Right. Jamar Chaney. Let Jamar Chaney be a linebacker's coach. But yeah. when a linebacker's position opens up and he's proven himself, 
it makes more sense than anything to go get somebody like that because he has ties to the school. If there if there's a guy like a John Cohen, who is SEC Coach of the Year, that is one of your alums, there it's a no brainer to go get that guy as your head right. coach. But like just going out there and just like just grabbing names that have pitched well before doesn't mean that those guys are going to come into a situation where they've got to face SEC hitters and they've got to develop guys and they've got to recruit several years out. It I just don't understand settling for somebody like that. Yeah. Um and now if now I'm totally on board with Roy Oswald coming in in this current state. Mm-hmm. In the last three weeks, he's helping to get through, calling pitches, working on mechanics, working a philosophy with the pitching staff. I think that's a great idea. But again, there's I think there's a lot of things that have to happen for him to mm-hmm. do that, and I don't know if you just put him at the top of the board for. Is there pitching a path coach? where you could say he's a volunteer assistant? And we're not paying him. Yes, I don't. That's that's another thing I don't really understand because I think those guys do get paid like a stipend or something mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I don't know if that that, if would, that would be an issue. There. I mean, it's just I mean, like you know, um, Kyle Cheeseboro has not been working for free the last four years. Right. He he's been considered a volunteer coach, but it's not. I mean, he just hasn't been getting paid like he should. But the, those guys get money because they, they find different avenues to pay them, whether it's like working with camps or whatever. Um, but I do think that he could come in there and, like, I don't really know how it works, but I mean, maybe he can offer some instruction. Like I said, he's thrown bullpens with guys before and stuff. I, I don't know, but I do think you have to – involve him in some form or fashion right i mean like he's like he's a wealth of knowledge that's sitting in starbull available quite often that you should be able to in some form or fashion have involved with the program whether that's coaching or coming and talking to the team or whatever i think it's it would be foolish to not have him have his hand in some form or fashion on the program i agree then some more pitching news for Mississippi State uh, as Nate Dome puts on his Instagram that he's back, which I think, Robbie, you were there at Auburn when he got hurt, and you were pretty adamant that, that you thought that was going to be a, a season-ending injury. How surprised are you that it appears Nate Dome will be back in action this weekend? I'm, I'm pretty surprised, man, but I, and to, to Chris Lamonis' credit, you know, he came on your show, I think, and said – you know, yeah. we got some encouraging news on him. He, that's when he said that it made you think a little differently about um, Nate Dome's injury. Mm-hmm. And I don't, to be honest with you, I have no clue what the injury is. But right. it can't be that serious if they're pushing him back in there, which I imagine they're going to do this week, just two weeks after he got hurt or came out of the game. And maybe it's uh maybe he got a cramp in his arm. I, I don't know. I mean, what like. What else could it be? Yeah. It's like a you're you're out for a week and you're right back in there because it the way he was holding his arm, I immediately thought elbow. Yeah, and maybe that it's probably foolish of us mm-hmm. to have jumped to that conclusion, but that's just in fairness, that's what we've grown accustomed to doing. I mean, it's the reaction. It's, it's it, when you it see is. people react and they're shaking their arm a little. That's when you're like, yeah. okay, that's that's not a good sign. 
You know, we've we just seen Landon it so Sims. much, man. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and Ole Miss going through it today with, with Hunter Elliott. That's a story for another time. I, I think we're gonna have to talk about that today on Sports Talk Mississippi on Thursday show as you're listening. So, which I, I'm gonna be all, pretty honest. I feel like all of us saw that coming. I feel like I'm gonna have to be pretty honest. Be like, I think Ole Miss sort of screwed the pooch on that. They could have gotten that done earlier and maybe had him back for next season. As it is, his Ole Miss career is probably over. And so in fairness, go ahead. in fairness to Ole Miss too. I mean. The family makes those decisions too. I mean, they. I'm no, guessing no, no. that it's not, it's not they had a. Yeah. I'm guessing that they said, you know, let's see, let's get some more um, thoughts from doctors. Let's see what they have to say. Things like that. Yeah, it just didn't work. And so that leads us into this series, Mississippi State versus Arkansas. Arkansas has uh, announced their starting uh, rotation, and they are they are taking a treat a, a, a page right out of Mississippi State's book. A couple of TBDs on there. Uh, they will go with Hagen Smith on on Friday night, and then TBD from there. State has not announced as of the recording of this podcast. I would imagine Cole, uh, Kate Smith, Landon Gartman, Gerangelo Senjay will, will be the rotation to, probably the rest of the way, barring any more injuries. Give give me a little bit of a, a positive thought of why Mississippi State can grab a game in this series. Well, <clears throat> I, I'm going to go a little step further. I think that there's a possibility oh. they could win too. Look at you. I just this is classic uh you know last ditch rally together type situation here I think this weekend for Mississippi State. I think they're either going to be decimated and just kind of just go through the motions or this team's really going to fight this weekend. Mm. I I truly believe that. Feels like we'll How many times? They, feels like we know what they what's going to happen pretty early in, into the Friday night game. Probably so, yeah. But how many times have you seen a team like coach leaves in the middle of the season and the team just instantly kind of rallies together? I thought that happened last in year. Baseball it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, but I mean, just in sports in general, yeah. you know, you lose a coach in the middle of the season or. You know, something happens, some kind of drama or whatever within your team, and all of a sudden, you know, the team has kind of like this, like us against the world mentality. Mm-hmm. I think it's that's either going to happen, or this is going to be a three-game sweep, easily done by Arkansas. There's like no in between. I think states are going to rally and win this series, or they're going to get swept. I, tr- I truly believe that. It makes sense. I mean. I don't know, but I would say just, excuse me, winning a game and then playing competitively in the other two games would be the rally. I, I, I can't, I don't see them winning two games. I, I would be pretty surprised by that. Pretty well, well, no, but here's here's another reasoning for me. Arkansas is not this, you know, unbeatable force right now. I mean, they're dealing with a lot of injuries. They're dealing with a lot of ups and downs within their roster right now. I mean, it's not something that I don't, you know, I don't see a roster that's just, you know, leaps and bounds better than Mississippi State at this point. They they don't even have two of their guys listed as starters. Right. They, they have one starter listed, so they don't. They lost this week in the midweek to Lipscomb, a team Mississippi State swept earlier this year. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think that it's impossible by any means for Mississippi State to win this series. And for anybody that thinks I'm sunshine pumping, you can take the rest of what I've said this year. And collect it, and tell me which way I've been. <laughs> I've been talking this year. Um, I'm not a guy that's been 
super positive on this team this year. No. So for me to say that I think that it's a possibility that this team could win this series, that should say something to you. Yeah, I agree. I, I was very surprised to hear you say that just a few minutes ago. I don't know if you saw my eyes go like, what did he say? All this negativity for me. Swear. Just... What what have you done with Robbie Falk? <laughs> He's been body snatched. So yeah, I, state just winning a game would be a huge huge thing for Mississippi State. It would keep them it in, would it would keep them in, uh, ahead of you know. Let's just I, I think Ole Miss might get two this weekend from Missouri, right? And that would put them a game ahead of Mississippi State if State gets swept. But if State can win a game, then they stay ahead of the Rebels. So maybe you know a chance to make it to Hoover. Not that that matters in the long run. That that makes any difference or is worth anything. But just something to, to to look at. So we'll see. We will see with that. Before we we switch over to our final two SEC previews of the uh, spring, you mentioned it a second ago. Old Brad Bohannon. Alabama fans learning who Brad Bohannon was today because he got fired. Because apparently, okay, allegedly, I don't even know how to put it, but there's a gambling scandal surrounding his team, and they fired the head coach. I'm no mathematician, but I'll put two and two together and say they're connected. They, they have to have some kind of evidence here. Yeah. Now, Alabama and just the, released a statement or saying that none of, it does not believe that any of the players are involved, but the investigation is very much focused. This is from sources from Kendall Rogers, focused on Brad Bohannon. Robbie, was he betting against his team? That's what it looked have. like on the surface, right? They, because this, this is, is the a, story. This, this is illegal. Like, this is... He'll, he'll, he'll go, go to, to jail. jail for this. Yeah. He... The story is someone in Cincinnati at the... At, there was at a Reds game placed a bet on a huge... A huge bet on LSU to win against Alabama. Alabama had scratched their usual Friday night starter. Not that it would probably made a difference against Skeens, but they had... They were... They're not throwing their, their usual Friday night guy. And so this big bet comes in. Comes in. And fl- it, it gets flagged because, uh, you know, why would somebody make such a large bet on a college baseball game? And you find out that, you know, then they find out that there was a late scratch that nobody, that very few people knew about. And now the head coach has been fired. It, it feels like he made a phone call to a friend and was like, go put some money on this. We're not winning tonight. Isn't it crazy how the gambling commission like can just like find that stuff? This is why gambling should be legal. Like the, it's it's heavily regulated. It's, hev- yeah. it's heavily regulated. Like they found that from this random person in Ohio, and we're like, hey, this does not look good. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That, he's in, he's in big trouble, man. Well, I mean, he, well, I mean he never mind no coaching out. again. Yeah, yeah, never mind that though. He might be going to jail. Yeah. So I hope he goes to jail at the correctional facility right outside of uh, Starkville in between Starkville and Louisville, so he can see all the great things to do here in Starkville. That's right. God, what an, what an idiot. What, what a loser. All right. <laughs> Let's move on into the rest of the show. That's brought to you by our good friends over at the Mississippi Beef Council. We want to remind you that beef, it's what's for dinner. Why not treat yourself to a steak this weekend? Why not head out to one of your favorite steakhouses here in the great state of Mississippi and enjoy a fantastic steak? cooked over a grill, medium rare. Not that if you go another way, hey, that's on you, but Brian Haydad's getting that steak. It's medium rare. And enjoy some fantastic beef. I'm telling you, there's just nothing better. It makes everybody happy. And of course, 
your family's going to be happy if you're grilling steaks for them as well. Or anytime you put beef on the table. If you're looking for recipes for some great weeknight meal ideas, head over to msbeef.org and you can uh, you can get those right there. Beef, it's what's for dinner, thanks to our friends at the Mississippi Beef Council. Two Brothers Smoked Meats in the heart of the Cotton District is the place to find smoked southern soul food. Sorry, I, something happened on my phone that I'm not quite sure what's going on there. We'll uh, we'll come back to that in a, in a moment. You're talking about the text? That's I don't it. know what you're talking about. Let's uh, let's move on with our lives here. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the other place you need to have on the list of to-dos this weekend if you're headed to Starkville for baseball is a trip to Two Brothers. But I don't need to tell you that because I've been telling you that for years now here on this podcast. And any t- even before they were an advertiser with me, I was, I've been preaching the gospel of Two Brothers Smoked Meats. It's one of my favorite places to go in town. I always enjoy a trip there. You will, too. Head to the Cotton District and get a seat at the bar or at a table at Two Brothers Smoked Meats. Great products and great services what every business promises you, but they deliver it to you at Advantage Business Systems, and they have for 48 years. If you need technology for your business, give them a call today and get something in there that's you know big-time brands, great prices, and backed up with the kind of service you expect when you're dealing with your next-door neighbor, which is what they are at Advantage Business Systems. They're a Mississippi business just like you. Call them today and find out what kind of difference they'll make for you. 601-362-9192 or visit them online at absms.com. Find out how Advantage Business Systems will help your business do business. The Collegiate Collection at the Rogue. Look, guys, Mother's Day is next week. You treat mom to whatever she wants, but when Father's Day is here next month and the family's like, Dad, what do you want? You want a polo or a pullover from the Collegiate Collection at the Rogue. Great name brands, fantastic styles, and the logos that Dad wants. Dad does not want to be a walking billboard for a shoe company. You know, when it says only the best for Dad, you don't want that to actually be on the shirt. You just want that to be a, a philosophy that we're just trying to keep in mind. So it's like something that comes off Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't do that. Go to the Rogue, buy Dad a brand new polo there. You won't regret it. Check out their collegiate collection either at the store or online at therogue.com. Don't live the three-stripe life. Shop at the Rogue. This weekend, if you're looking for a place to start your morning, 8 a.m., they're open at 509 University Drive. That's where Dolce is. Great coffee, great breakfast sandwiches, great bagels, a great spot to start your morning this weekend. And, of course, in the afternoon, if you're just looking for a little pick-me-up, the gelato can't be beat. Head over to 509 University Drive next to Bluto's Greek Tavern. That's where you'll find Dolce. You can have a great breakfast. We got two spring previews left here. Let's knock them out. One plays Mississippi State, one does not. Let's start with the team on the schedule. That's the Texas A&M Aggies. Easily, Robbie, the most disappointing team in the SEC a season ago, I would say. Uh, preseason top 10 team that finished 5-7, and seven, missed a bowl. Now they brought in Bobby Petrino. I'm sure nothing will happen. Let's talk to Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle to get his thoughts on what he's expecting in Aggieland this fall. Let's head to Texas A&M for one of our final stops here on our spring wraparound. We're talking to Travis Brown, who covers the Aggies for the Bryan. I should be able to say Bryan, you would think. Bryan College Station uh, Eagle. And Travis, there's just no getting around the fact that Texas A&M a season ago was the most disappointing team in the conference. Uh, a preseason uh, top 10 team uh, that finished a 5-7 and seven record, didn't make a, a bowl game. 
the big splash for the Aggies this offseason is bringing in Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator. When he's d- doing his work, that's one of the best offensive play callers in college football. So my question is, and I think it's the question a lot of people are asking, is Jimbo Fisher going to be able to relinquish that control and allow Bobby Petrino to be the offensive coordinator calling the plays? I mean, that is the the hundred thousand dollar question for the season, isn't it? I, it's I, a ninety five million dollar question. Well, that's Texas A and M. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think that every indication that we saw through spring practice was that um, that 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 process is seemingly taking place you know years past spring or full uh spring or fall practice that we've been able to see a few minutes of um Jimbo Fisher has been right there involved with anything the quarterbacks are doing uh anything with the offense wide receivers getting in people's faces whatever and and this year he, he took a step back and he was um a lot quieter a lot more observational uh when Bobby Petrino was leading those drills that normally he would have led. So from, from the little bit, it, it's hard to tell anything in spring game because the, the play calling and everything is so vanilla that uh, you, you, you don't really know what's going on or what's changed or anything like that. But the, the small indications are that, um, that it does seem like at least a little bit in practice that that process has started. Now, if A&M gets a couple of games into the season and, um, things aren't going well. That that's going to be really interesting to see how how he handles that. But um, yeah, it, it it seems like that's the way things are rolling so far, at least. I like what what AM brings back at quarterback. I think Wigman showed you last year that he can be a a guy that can be a future star in this league. I like the receivers that Texas A and M has had. You know, obviously they've recruited very well there. But I thought uh, Devon A Chain last year was maybe the most explosive playmaker in the SEC, a guy that I felt A&M underutilized. Who is going to replace him in that Aggie backfield this year? I think the veteran guys you have coming back, uh, Amari Daniels, uh, Le'Veon Moss, those are some of the guys that will um, probably step up and get a bulk of the carries. But then they have the freshman Reuben, Owen coming, Reuben Owens coming in that um, has a little bit of that burst and, and maybe – home run playmaking ability like Devon A. Chain had. So wouldn't be surprised if you saw him a little bit in the mix as well. It's probably going to be as much of a running back by committee, I would think, as you've seen under Jimbo Fisher, or really as you've seen from Texas A&M over the last uh, several years, because they've had um, a bell cow pretty much, uh, you know, since maybe they shared between Travion Williams and Keith Ford a while back. But even then, they might have three guys that can go right now. So it will be interesting to see how those guys uh, divvy up reps and um, who maybe takes the the majority of those carries. Defensively, it feels like a broken record. I know there's plenty of talent over there. They've recruited some great great players, especially on that defensive front. They were just very inconsistent uh, a season ago. Can they put that together? Can this be a top five in the SEC, a top 20 nationally defense for Texas A&M? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, replace, adjust, and and find some depth at linebacker. I, I, last year, it was easy to to lean back and say, well, yeah, they had a, a great a, a, at times the the top pass defense in the country. But you also have to look at the fact that their run defense was so bad that teams didn't have to pass against them, and so of course their numbers were going to give you. I mean, you, case in point, a really bad Auburn team didn't attempt its first pass of the game until like there was a minute left in the first half because they just didn't need to run them. That's not saying that they didn't have some great talent 
in the defensive secondary and they, that they are going to have returned some great talent defensive secondary, but they got to get better at run stopping uh, and get a little bit better at the pass rush as well for it to really truly step up and be uh, a good solid defense. But I think the, the pieces are there. And especially if you look at the defensive um, linemen that they bring back with a little bit more experience, I mean, it's, it's extremely deep. Um, that'll, that'll be interesting to see how that all comes together. You look at the A&M schedule, and I mean, three the first three weeks you have your non-conference games. Obviously, one of them is a trip to Miami, and that will be you know a, a bit of a test. But I thought A&M defensively, especially, handled Miami pretty easily a season ago. But then Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State before you get the uh, game against Abilene Christian uh, in Week Twelve. That is an incredibly brutal stretch. Is this A&M team built to hold up for for that kind of stretch of conference play? Um, that's, that, that, that is the question. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to be a better, uh, team to, to kind of withstand that test than they did last year. You know, it wasn't maybe as, um, brutal as far as how, you know, the teams are playing, but last year they were away from home, uh, for five straight games with how the schedule went and were just traveling every other week. And so I think they have a little bit of experience of, of being on the road, going against some uh, adversity in that, and and they'll be better off for that this year. Um, but I, I I think it just comes down to what is it that they're putting on the field because you know if they continue to struggle offensively and can't put points on the board, um, then that's going to be a by by week two of that it's going to be a beatdown, and it'll be interesting to see how they can bounce back from that. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think if they can put points on the board, stay in games, it'll it'll be easier. Um, it'll at least be a, a little bit less mentally taxing than it was maybe some of the string that they put together last year. We mentioned the $95 million question, or maybe that number has gone down a little bit, but we have to ask, what happens if? What happens if this is another underachieving season for Texas A&M? I mean, I think there would be a lot more rumblings on saying that they needed to and wanted to move on from Jimbo Fisher. But I, I mean, it would still be in the uh, 80 millions, upper 70s range to try to get rid of him. And I don't think that I, I, I what is the return of return on investment there? Yeah. Because, yes, you're paying uh, an exorbitant amount of money to, to move on. But that's not guaranteed. Not, you're not paying that money to guarantee that it's going to be a better uh, with whoever you bring in next, so I, I just don't think that you you that's too much money. You're you're not necessarily going to get any reinter- return on investment back. You you probably have to write them out at least one more year, get it somewhat more manageable before you uh, move on. But you you never know with with donors and money and everything that goes these days. But I I I, I still don't think that I still think he's safe this year, even if things go. Turn, turn sideways because of just how much money that is. I always make the same joke. You know, we're going to go to the pump one day and gas will be $5 a gallon. You'll know, well, they had to buy out Jimbo Fisher. So they, they had to do something. <laughs> I, I get it. Last question. And this is the one we've asked everybody who's done these interviews with us this spring. Uh, when we get to the end of the season, when after the A&M LSU game, what are we saying about Texas A&M uh, this season? I, I, I think you, you do see an offense that's improved. Um, but I think that it'll, the the real question mark is it goes back to exactly the first question that you ask is what was the dynamic between Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino? You know, was it 
uh, a, you know, a, a peaceful harmony between the two that worked well and they coasted into a really good season and, and maybe a win over LSU or was it uh, contentious and was it a power struggle trying to be uh, Jimbo not relinquishing uh, some of those duties that, that he had. And if that's the case, it, it's probably not going to be good. I, I, for, for me personally, I, I've said, said that this new partnership with between the two of them is either going to work uh, swimmingly or it's going to be at the biggest dumpster fire ever, ever. I don't think there's a middle ground there. I think it's going to go one of two ways. And I haven't necessarily decided what I think that's going to look like, but it's it's going to be a, a binary. It's going to be on one of the polls, and, and it'll be interesting to see uh, exactly how that turns out. We are very interested to see it because Texas A&M, good or bad, the drama is always great out of College Station. We'll see what happens in 2023. Travis Brown, appreciate your time, man. Really good stuff. Anytime. All right, thanks to Travis. Appreciate that. It really just comes down to if Jimbo Fisher is going to let Bobby Petrino cook, right? If Petrino's calling the plays, there's not a lot of better play callers in college football. I think Connor Wiegman is a guy who's got a lot of talent. You know they've they've recruited well. They've got skill position guys around him. They'll miss A-chain, but they'll have guys there. But if Fisher wants to do things his way, and he, you know, I, I always go back to Jackie Sherrill, when you know he, I mean, he ran through what six offensive coordinators in his time in Starkville, and after Watson Brown, the offense was the same basically every year. You know, you you could you could sort of set your watch by a draw play on third and sixteen a lot of times. So it's it's just going to come down that for, to that for me. And I'll be honest with you, with the way AM is underachieved under Fisher, I really do think that they're willing to cut a seventy million dollar check at the end of the season to get him out if he doesn't do anything good this year. Yeah, if they win seven games, that that's probably it for him. Yeah, that they're you're just you're making way too much money to be mediocre. Seven or eight wins, not going to cut it. And you know, I I don't know if he's going to be willing to just let Bobby Petrino just do that's his a, thing. That's the question. I, coaches are very prideful, and like there's ego there, there's pride, there's not willing to say I was wrong. And, you know, I could see him saying, yeah, we'll bring, we'll bring Bobby in for the looks or whatever. But at the same time, you know, this is still my show. And if it is indeed his show, then they're screwed. Because the, the game has passed him by from a offensive standpoint. He's got, you know, three Waffle House menus in his hands to call plays. He's, you know, struggling to get the plays in there to the players. He's struggling to get the point across to the players. They're having a hard time really understanding his offense. And the offense just isn't very good. He hasn't done a good job of, you know, working with the skill set that he has and finding his strengths and, and kind of going with it. And they've also kind of struggled to find a legit quarterback. But I don't know – how much that's the offense or that's, you know, this uh, recruiting that they have or developing. I, I don't know. But I think your best bet is to, you know, if your job's in the line here, we need Bobby to run the offense and see what happens. I agree. I, and I'll be honest with you. I don't have high hopes for AM this season. I think it's going to be another struggle year, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Let's switch over to the SEC. So let's wrap up our spring previews. Vanderbilt. And our friend Robbie Weinstein from Vandy 24-7. Let's get his thoughts on the doors. Suddenly interesting once again. 
Let's wrap up our look around the SEC this spring with the Vanderbilt Commodores. Robbie Weinstein from Vandy 24-7 is going to join us now. And Robbie, this was a, a, a fun football team to watch at the end of the season. Played very competitively, got some wins that maybe nobody expected. You know, obviously a bad loss to Tennessee at the end, but Tennessee was one of the best teams in college football all year last year. I'm willing to write that one off. What's the mood in Nashville going into this season? Yeah, I, I think it continues to be you know, a feeling that the team is, is trending upward. Uh, when, when Clark Lee came in to take over for Derek Mason, you know, it was kind of uh, – it's hard for an SEC football program to get much lower. I mean, they didn't win a game in that COVID season. Uh, they, they didn't win a game in the league the year before. And I, I think in terms of the overall roster, you know, there were one or two good pieces here and there, but the general team speed just wasn't wasn't good enough. And um, I, I think everything kind of had to be blown up a little bit. And, uh, you know, one of the big things that Clark Lee did when he came in was hire Barton Simmons, formerly from 24-7 Sports, and really revamped the uh, recruiting strategy and yeah, I mean, you guys know how it goes in college football, where especially if you're relying heavily on recruiting out of the high school ranks, now that doesn't show up right away on the field because these guys need a couple of years. Uh, but this could be the first season where, you know, they did play a fair amount of true freshmen last year and a couple of them contributed and were good right away. But I, I think this is kind of the first season where, you know, a large, large portion of that that first class, the 2022 class that Clark Lee brought in is actually going to play a real role. And uh, so there's a lot of excitement to see how those guys do. The early returns from the spring look pretty good. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't always translate into wins right away. So there's certainly um, some uncertainty, I think. When I look at this team a season ago and, and why I ask myself, what do they have to be better at? Defense is the first thing that stands out to me. Uh, they had a three-game stretch, a four, a five-game stretch, I'm sorry, where they gave up 45 or more points. They were one and four in that stretch. And that's kind of, you know, obviously Alabama, Georgia, Everybody struggled with them, but Ole Miss and, and Wake Forest, those were games. Bandy played pretty well offensively, and if the defense had just been a little bit better, might have had a chance to win. Why will Vanderbilt be better defensively in 2023? Yeah, I mean, they, they were absolutely – they were one of the worst defensive teams in the entire country last season, not just in the SEC or the Power Five. Uh, the reason why that they'll be better is the pass defense last season was was really a mess, and I think that it will be – uh, it probably won't even be average this season, but I think just going from absolutely awful, like bottom five in FBS to you know merely below average can really help them. They they did not have a pass rush last season. I think they had something like something ridiculous, like six or seven sacks all year. And a big reason why was that Miles Capers, who was you know far and away their best pass rusher coming into the season, had a really good fall camp. He uh, suffered some sort of serious knee injury, a season-ending knee injury late in camp. And so all of a sudden, you really only had one quality pass rusher on the team, and he just isn't available for the whole season. He will be back, and then they got a couple true freshmen in there last season, Darren Agu and BJ Takate, who like didn't really produce a lot, but they started to show a little bit more, started to flash late in the season and Agu, who's 6'6", 250 pounds, and Tennessee wanted him. He was one time committed to Notre Dame. Uh, he looks quite good in the spring. So they're going to have more of a pass rush. Again, it's not going to be even an average pass rush by SEC standards, but it may not be the worst pass rush in the league. And, and they were far and away the worst in the league in that area last season. So that really overexposed the corners and, and the safeties who you know weren't that great to begin with, I, I don't think, especially in terms of depth. So that that pass rush to me 
is going to be the key to unlocking at, at least an okay defense this season. And uh, I think it's going to be passable. At the quarterback position, it looks like it's going to be A.J. Swan, uh, who had a, I thought was pretty good last year. Ten touchdowns, only two picks. Uh, had his moments there. As a full-time starter, do you think he can handle this team and get them through th- uh, 12 games? Yeah, I, I do. And it's not going to be perfect. Um, like, for instance, he and he showed it in the spring. He showed it last fall uh, during fall camp, less so during the actual season. He uh, is going to throw some interceptions. Like, I think he'll probably throw upwards of 10 interceptions, maybe 12 or 13, if he's, you know, if he's able to start all 12 games. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think if you're Vanderbilt, he is going to, he has a big time arm. He has an NFL arm. And so he's going to stretch the field and put stress on defenses that Vanderbilt hasn't been able to do at the quarterback position for a really long time. And so I think you can kind of live with some of the turnovers uh, in exchange for really opening up the offense a lot more. I like. I don't really have a whole lot of questions about his talent level as a passer. I, I thought it, it's been really impressive, honestly, since he came in as an early enrollee to see his kind of not only his arm strength, but his touch and his feel for you know kind of like uh, throwing fades and stuff like that, 20, 25 yards downfield. So he's not a mobile guy by any means, but uh, he is mobile enough at least to kind of escape the rush and and you know scramble in order to throw as opposed to scramble to run. And uh, I, so I'm really bullish on him. Like, I don't think he's going to be all SEC by any means this season, but uh, he definitely gives them the ability to stretch the field and, and he's going to make plays for them. And I think he can be a quality starting quarterback, like on a bowl caliber team. I, I definitely think that's the case. Well, we're talking about quarterbacks. I would be remiss if having you on to not ask you about Mike Wright, who transferred from Vanderbilt to Mississippi State. I think he's going to be more of a you know a plug and play. They'll have some packages for him, some play calls for him, kind of guy down here at MSU. I don't think he's beating out Will Rogers. What kind of athlete is Mike Wright going to be for Mississippi State this year? Sure, yeah, I, I mean, and, and Vanderbilt uh, really liked him not only as you know a player. I think there were limitations in terms of his arm, but uh, he uh, it was a really high caliber like leader and citizen in the locker room and all that sort of stuff. Uh, in terms of his legs, I think he, you know, he's a great guy to have if if you're backing up Will Rogers and you can throw him in there in some situational type of looks because he has like legit four four speed. I mean, I've seen him a number of times during practices in fall camp or spring ball or whatever, just house a run like from eighty yards out. Uh, he has legit track speed. He's not really like shifty. He's not going to cut a lot, but in terms of straight line speed, he's as good as it gets at the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, I think even though he has some limitations in terms of accuracy uh, and doesn't have, like, the cleanest throwing motion or anything like that, you do have to, like, to some extent respect him as a passer. And when you combine that with the legs, like, that does open a lot of things up. So, I mean, I think he could be, like, probably a lower-level starting quarterback in the Power Five. Like, Northwestern could have used him, for instance, before they got Ben Bryant from Cincinnati this week. So to have Mike Wright, who has won SEC games as a starting quarterback, you know, as your backup at Mississippi State, that that's great. I mean, that that's as good as it gets. And yeah, Vanderbilt was ready to move on and, and roll with AJ Swan for the future, but that doesn't mean that Mike Wright isn't a good player and, and can't be useful for Mississippi State because he definitely can be. I look at Vandy's schedule. I, I, three games stand out to me: Ole Miss, Kentucky, Missouri. Three of the two of those are at home. Uh, Ole Miss is a series that Vanderbilt has been very competitive in. They've gotten a lot of wins over the Rebels through the years. What's their record in those three games? Because I think that's what's going to determine are they a bowl team or not. Yeah, I, I think they'll definitely – like I would be really surprised if they don't win at least one of them. Like uh, They already beat Kentucky last season. 
Uh, Mizzou is probably the one that I would look at as I might, you know, I'd be tempted to favor them in that game because of the advantage at quarterback. And that's a, that's a home game. Ole Miss, I think is a tough matchup for them because they don't really do well, or at least they haven't to this point against spread offenses that really chuck the ball around. Uh, they, they're, you know, they've been trying really hard. Like when, when Clark Lee came in, allegedly their starting safeties ran like four, nine and four, nine, five in the 40. And they've really tried hard to improve the speed on the back end. And they've done that, but these guys are, are young players. Right. And so, you know, I think there's an, you know, an element of like being able to recognize what an offense is doing and react quickly and react with the you know correct choice that is difficult, um, you know, for a young player to play against Ole Miss. So I'd say, you know, it's hard to say either one and two or two and one, but, you know, I think that they can, um, I think you're right. They probably do need to win two of those games to get to a bowl game, but I do kind of like their chances that way for us, to be honest, uh, without Sam Hartman this season and Auburn is coming in and, you know, I don't know that they're that great either. So the schedule is so much lighter for them this season because uh, Wake, I think, is going to take a step back, even though that's a road game and they're replacing Alabama with Auburn. So, um, you know, considering I think they were maybe a little fortunate to go five and seven last season and weren't really a five win caliber team. But, uh, you know, the schedule really sets up well for them, I think. It kind of leads into the final question, which is the question we've asked everybody on, who's done these interviews thus far. When we get to the end of the season, the week after uh, Tennessee Vanderbilt, what are we saying about the Commodores there at the end? I, I think they're going to go six and six. And so, what you would probably be saying in that case is that the rebuild is is on pace, and that you know you're fi- finally starting to see results from Clark Lee. Uh, you know, the reason why I'm thinking that is is you know at the end of the day, I, they, I think they're going to be a substantially improved team from last season in terms of the quality of football. I, I think they could take a big step forward. So I think they're going to win one more game than last season. But, you know, I think they're, you know, in terms of the quality of team, it could be more like a two or three win improvement. But I think they just got really, really lucky to win that Kentucky game last year and probably should have been at best a four and eight team. Uh, so I, to me, I mean, they've just got so much more athleticism uh, and talent, especially on defense, on offense. They've got a clear identity. They've got good wide receivers. They've got a, you know, I think a good quarterback. They return like 75 starts on the offensive line. So uh, I think they're being overlooked a little bit. Like, I don't expect them to push, you know, Georgia or any of the best teams on their schedule by any means. Like, I think the Tennessee game will be probably a massive blowout again. But I think they're going to be competitive enough to, you know, maybe they can, if Florida is a mess, can they go to Florida and beat them again for the second year in a row? Maybe, because they'll have the quarterback advantage, probably. Uh, So I I think six wins is very attainable. Again, they're not going to knock anyone's socks off, but... Uh, they're finally going to be playing competent football again like we started to see at the end of last season. I like it when Vanderbilt's interesting. They were a fun team to watch there at the end of the season. We'll see if that can continue into 2023. Robbie Weinstein, 24-7 Sportsman, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, thanks to Robbie. Good stuff there. I I, I agree, but I, I stand by what I said there at the end of the interview. I think the SEC is infinitely more interesting when Vanderbilt is not just an, an auto win, right? When when yeah. teams have to worry about Vanderbilt a little bit. I think they can be a bowl team this year. I'm interested to 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 see how they look. They need to get off to a fast start. They have a legitimate chance to be four zero when they play uh, Kentucky. They would have to beat Wake Forest in there, but Wake Forest kind of rebuilding. Sam Hartman gone off to Notre Dame. If they're four and zero, I mean that's a that there might actually there, there's excitement. You know, that game's in Nashville, might actually have an exciting night of football at, at in Vanderbilt. 
Yeah, you know, last year we uh, just the fact that they were five and seven and they could actually score a little bit and mm-hmm. they were competitive in games. I thought was a huge step forward. And that, I mean, that sounds kind of silly to say, but the year prior they were awful. Yeah, I mean, absolutely terrible. Their two wins that year was like what well, was like uh, UConn, like they they get like Joseph Bulavis or whatever kicked the a field goal time expired to beat UConn. Joseph Bulavis, like, oh my gosh! They beat, they beat like Colorado State by three, so like they beat two of the worst teams in college football, barely, and lost and the to rest an of the team. Blowouts. Yeah, by twenty. <clears throat> so East Tennessee State or whatever was it? East yeah, Tennessee East Tennessee State? State. You're right. Last year, you know, game one, they scored like sixty points. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that the step forward last year was was huge for them. They beat Kentucky on the road, mm-hmm. then they beat uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, against the really good teams, they weren't super competitive. But you know, that is what it is. I thought we saw that that team take a step forward, and you know, I really like Clark Lee. I think he's uh, I think he's a really good coach. They've recruited better. This should be a competitive team this year. You know, just based on their um, their history. They, they took a big step forward offensively last year. Yeah. They need to take one defensively this year. If they can do that, yeah, six and six is very, very doable for the Vanderbilt Commodores. I hope you guys enjoyed all that and doing these uh, these previews. And of course, we'll have some more coming up in just a few weeks. We'll start our opponent preview series. I think in like four weeks. You know that you know what that means we'll be talking about the Egg Bowl uh, to start that off. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and like I said, we're going to keep those national interviews coming uh, as well. So. All right, guys, if you're headed to Starville this weekend, please travel safely. It looks like there's going to be some rain in the forecast this weekend. So if you're coming up here, be careful. Hope to see you at the ballpark. Hope to see you at Starkville uh, on Saturday afternoon at the uh, Starkville Derby. You're going to be out there for the Wiener Dog races. Looking forward to that. And uh, Robbie and I will be back with you on Sunday evening for another edition of Thunder and Light. For Robbie Falk, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi Media Production.